You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. There and hand over the toe. Well, I did what I had to do because that was right. Carol Midpath, right? Well, thank you. First of all, I'm just happy to be here. You know, today was, you know, I'm you to crack about not having won the world heavyweight title. Hey, would you take a look in the National Enquirer this week? Has some wrestling news in there. Well, I went down to the store and I bought one, and as I looked through it, now proclaimed million dollar champion, Ted DiBiase, a man who overcame. Thursday night, November the 7th, shot at the title. Oh, shot at the title. Let's face it, there isn't nobody in the whole wide world that doesn't figure I can't beat Holman. Legends. Let's rethink this. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Legends. Let's rethink think this dollar bill dave's here we have timmy c in the studio as well we have tj here and our special guest this week is none other than the living legend himself larry zabisco thank you thank you very much all right so we just kind of chatted a little bit off air we were talking about casinos and gambling and <laughs> Dave's Orlando, degenerate Florida. gambling habit. That's <laughs> Tampa, Florida. And yes, uh, Larry Zabisco's gambling habits make mine look very, very bad. I really need to work on what I'm doing with my life. I'm cheap. So <laughs> I, I like to just throw it out at everything for stupid reasons. We know. So with that being said, Larry, thank you so much for taking the time to come with us. You are our first live guest we've had with us on this show. We are on episode number four right now. Really? I didn't know you were that new. Mm-hmm. So we are brand new. We do a we do a different podcast called the Filter Free Popcast. So wow. Timmy, TJ, and I do that along with Tim's wife, Angel. So off that, we started a Patreon with some friends of ours who also do podcasts. And we created this one called Legends Let's Rethink This. Kind of kind of a dive in to where we talk about what could have been for legends in the wrestling business if it was booked a different way. Uh, we've had an episode on Scott Hall. He was an all-time favorite of mine. I know that you are friends or were friends with Scott Hall. Uh, after his death, we, we pushed our episode up. We've done Kerry Von Erich. We've done Magnum TA. So we, we've had some good discussions here, and we really wanted to get mm-hmm. somebody else actually in here with us to talk. And and I don't know about you guys, but Larry Zabisco is a damn big name in the wrestling industry, and we couldn't be happier to share this time with you. Absolutely. Thank you very much, you know, and – I mean, it was with me, me and Scott Hall had kind of a, a mutual respect. I was one of the first guys I think he wrestled up in Winnipeg. I, I, I was in Winnipeg, Canada. Scott was a new guy starting out in the AWA a little bit. And I was talking to the promoter and I said, yeah, okay, who's this new guy I'm wrestling? And he pointed to this guy coming down the hallway who was like, you know, six foot six, six, seven, 300 pounds, looked great. And I went, Oh my God! But it was a, it was a classic match, and Scott, God bless him. I'm really sorry he's gone, but he was a really witty, clever guy. And uh, it's really too bad. There's way too many guys younger than me I knew that aren't uh, with us anymore. Yeah, it's that's one of the big that it, that is one of the big shames of the wrestling industry. Watch, you know, turn around and watching some of the old shows from 30 plus years ago. And you, and you look at these guys who are these just, just huge bulking men that you think are the, you know, just nobody could be healthier than these guys. And, and we've lost so many of them and it's, yeah. it's terrible. It's terribly tragic. It is in wrestling. I mean, it's a, it's a brutal lifestyle. You're in a different town every night, especially in the days I was going. I mean, 
every night you were in a different town. I, I, I couldn't take the six, seven hours in a car every day. So I got a private pilot's license and started flying myself to the towns. And that was great. I mean, it was, it could be a great life too, if you, you know, kept your uh, thinking straight, but I used to love to fly and I'd fly over New York city rush hour. I flew all over the country to towns and, and That's that was awesome. great, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was a, an awesome life and to connect to the energy of all the fans. I mean, the wrestling fans are the greatest fans of all. And to walk into an arena and feel that energy, whether they <laughs> hit your guts like they did me for a while, or at the end of my career, chant Larry and go berserk when you walked out, that energy, that was the most addicting thing that there was the, the, that the fans, you know, took to you. And uh, you never really get to retire because I just turned 70 and I've been lucky. I don't have artificial parts. I don't need no surgeries. The health is great. But um, you never really retire because there's always a convention or an autograph signing. Or, and I don't want to do too much, but you know, maybe once a month I'll fly out and sign autographs and meet the fans. I like that do something and the extra money I pick up goes to all the grandkids. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what am I going to do with it? You can't take it with you. <laughs> you can gamble $5 hand. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, $5. I mean, I play games online for five bucks. It's, it's fun, but I don't trust putting a lot of money in, you know, computers and stuff, but, but the people who played for five bucks, they play just as hard and as smart as if it was a $10,000 game. Well, I don't know about that. I was on a cruise ship last week, and they, <laughs> they were playing hard, but yeah. they were not playing smart. Well, no, they tried I mean, to talk him out of it, but he wouldn't. <laughs> you know what? My dad, my dad just turned 93 last week. And God bless him. I mean, he's you know, had a couple of cancers, been removed, a couple of heart surgeries and a pacemaker, but he's 93. 100% sharp, can still drive around, and him and his 90-year-old girlfriend went on a cruise <laughs> for his birthday. They, uh, he drove from Sarasota, where he lives, to Fort Lauderdale and got on some cruise boat, and they're off on a cruise. He should be back, I think, tomorrow. His 90-year-old girlfriend. You're not going to hear that very often. Yeah, I mean, he's but, <laughs> but that male-female relation, it's an energy that He's robbing that cradle. Yeah, he's uh, he robbed the cradle. <laughs> You're sick. Yeah, that my my grandmother turned ninety last week. Well, good for her. So she's she's uh, she's starting to lose it. Uh, she fell and broke her leg. Oh my god! About two months ago, I called her on her birthday, and my mother informed me that she fell and broke her arm last week. Oh god. Uh, but she's, she's all there physically, but she's starting to lose her short-term memory. So yeah. you know, I have to tell her multiple times what I'm doing, how the weather is, you know, throughout our conversations, but we, we do it all. My mom bought them. Uh, it's like an iPad type gig, but it's for Facebook. So like I Facebook messenger call her, but she can see me in person. Kind of like how we're talking right now. Okay. Oh, well, I'm very pretty, I assure you. Okay. Well. And <laughs> but so it's it's one of those things. But my my grandfather's 92. He still uh, rides his bike about 10 plus miles a day. Good. He, they live in Ormond Beach, Florida. So they like he likes to go to the pier and go fishing. He pretty much good. does that every day. Good so he stays him. active. But it, it's it's a good thing. I mean, it's my grandmother golfed 18 holes of golf every day until a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, I mean, the reality is we're all here from the center of the galaxy where our energy comes from. We're all conscious energy. But we're all here in a temporary vehicle called the body. And it's, it's, a, it's a temporary visit here into the third dimension. And leaving here is nothing to be afraid of. It's just a reality in 70, 80, 90 years. You know, we don't want to suffer, but remember hearing the stories where you hear people with near death, you know, they died and the medicine brought them back to life. And they all say, gee, I was going up this tunnel 
And at the end of the tunnel, I saw this light. But then I woke up, you know, back in the hospital. But just so everybody knows, and this will take research, we all have something coming out of the top of our heads called a shishuma, which is a millionth of time thinner than a hair and goes up to the center of the galaxy. And that's the tunnel we, we go up when we leave this body. And the light at the end of the tunnel is the rest of us. We're an ocean of energy, but only a drop of us can come into this dimension of density. And unfortunately, we're in the uh, end of the Iron Age, end of the Kali Yuga, which is why uh, humanity is experiencing all this absurd, stupid thing. And there's way too many morons. <laughs> Preach that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. All right, Larry, well, let, let's talk about your career a little bit. Well, okay. <laughs> you know what? Before we go back in the time machine, I got a, the, the career. I couldn't retire if I want to. I just signed a three-year deal with a little TV company that's got like a little over 3,500 hours of old wrestling from the mid 1950s, you know, when TV was starting in everybody's homes, 60, hmm. 70 footages that the WWE or nobody else owns. And, uh, you know, you're talking about the original gorgeous George, Dick the Bruiser, oh, the Crusher, says, and uh, it's going to be a TV show called, uh, I think it's called the Wrestling Legends Network. And from what I hear, it's going to be on some streaming thing, which I don't understand, maybe Peacock or Tubi. Oh, and Tubi. Oh, I've Tubi's heard of that. great. Yeah, could I, be on I watch Tubi. Could be on Tubi. And uh, what I do is I, uh, me and another guy, we host the show. All I do is like, welcome to the show, blah, blah. And at the end, I'll say, wasn't that great, blah, blah. And don't miss next week. We got the original gorgeous George. But I think the fans will love it because it's night and day what happened in the 50s, 60s, 70s compared to what wrestling is today. I'm in. Well, and that's kind of that's kind of what get, we do. It looks like it's. <laughs> I was going to plug one more thing. Go ahead. Well, I also Ooh. did a movie uh, made by Glacier. Glacier worked on it for ten years. Finally, got it done. Glacier and Luther and. Me and Ming, the Tonga guy, Ernie the Cat Miller, couple actors from TV, and uh, we made a movie called The Replaceables. You can Google it. <laughs> we did it in 2000. <laughs> At the end of 2019, we filmed it, and it's all done from what I hear, all the special effects, all the editing, even with the COVID the last couple of years, slowed it down a bit, but it's all done. And it might even be in theaters at the, you know, this uh, fall when the kids go back to school. And they're talking to distributors now, and it might be in the theaters. They're kind of looking, because I don't want to release it head to head with the big movie of the year. But it's about a group of wrestlers who save a town from aliens. I'm in. I'm, I'm in. I'm down. I'm down. Yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait to make my wife watch that with me. Is Glacier <laughs> see it because I'm in like most of the whole movies. Is it's Glacier in character? Great. Is he in costume the whole movie? Who? Glacier. No, no, he was no. no. He wasn't running around. You know when Glacier first popped up at the WCW, and they showed some videos of Glacier. Mm -hmm. I thought it was the premiere of a new movie. <laughs> you didn't know it was a new wrestler. Well, the Glacier thing was, was tough. It was they they had his vignettes on for so long. Yeah. And my little brother and I were so excited to finally see this Glacier guy. And I'll never forget his debut match was on WCW Pro yep. versus the Gambler. <laughs> and they had that blue light. They had a blue light the whole time. I'm like, what are we doing here? And I knew from then on it wasn't going to happen. And it's the same time as the NWO is coming in, and it just it wasn't it was never meant to be. Larry, what did you call that in? match? 
What match? Did I, well, I remember Glacier, oh, Glacier and the Gambler on Pro. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember that exact match, but I remember when Glacier started. But the New World Order was was just so hot, and I, I hate to brag, but I'm the one that named it and the one that programmed the beginning with Scott coming in and how things happened, and then me and Bischoff because Eric wanted to get involved because it was getting so hot. And so I programmed how Eric, you know, became a bad guy. And, I, and, and Eric, I got to give him credit. Eric did a great job. People wanted to kill him. And that mm-hmm. was in a time when everybody was, you know, considered to know everything and all that stuff. But uh, that was the, uh, I mean, you're talking about an 11 rating. And I, mean, that, I think that might be the hottest wrestling will ever be. Unless they start making some new stars, we'll see what happens. It'll never, it'll never. Be They'll never make new then. stars. No. Well, they better try because <laughs> all I know is you just you just killed a little bit of my childhood though because you said the new world order, and I the think new that's world the order. Time. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard you say order until today. New world odor. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So I'm I'm the old man on this podcast. I want to talk about something before that. I want to go back to uh, maybe January 22nd, 1980. Wow. Maybe a little Allentown, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Mm. You got you got a little wacky with a chair that night. I think it was Hamburg. I mean, we used to write. We used to go to Philadelphia like every three weeks and do some TV and then we'd drive to Allentown and stay at the Abe Lincoln Hotel. And Vince McMahon Sr. would put on a big dinner at night for, you know, a handful of the guys. And then the next day in Hamburg, Pennsylvania, we filmed a few more you know, weeks of TV. Well, and I'm going to trust you because I it's a damn Wikipedia says Allentown. But yeah, no, you were me. there. You were it, there. I trust you. Wikipedia says I'm five foot nine, and that pisses me off. Because <laughs> I'm it five does. foot. It says nine. he's five nine. Hey, for for the record, I'm five foot eleven <laughs> and a half. Five foot nine. Wikipedia sucks. <laughs> five nine. But it, but in Hamburg, Pennsylvania, and I was just there maybe a few months ago. They had a signing in Hamburg and. I don't do too many because I you know, maybe once every couple months I'll fly out out of boredom and I like to meet the fans and do something because it gets too boring if you don't do anything. But I was I went to Hamburg and it brought back a lot of memories. There was an old cemetery right next to the building, which was still there, and the building and the dressing rooms looked the same. So it was kind of nostalgic to me because that's really where I got my big break in the business. You know, at that time and that decision I made to do it with Bruno was really make or break my career. I was going to be like, a, you know, a mid-card nobody, you know, Bruno's protege guy, or I was going to be the most hated bastard in the business. So I had to go for broke, and thank God it worked out. Well, you had been a tag team champion up to that point, but but I think you're kind of right. You were going to kind of be lost somewhere there around the right below Pedro Morales at that point if you had stayed babyface. Yeah, yeah, I would have been just like an you know another guy, but but I thank God I had an idea, and it wasn't easy getting Bruno or Vince McMahon Senior to go for it because you know, and I really respect Vince McMahon Senior because. You don't really think of the promoters because, I mean, I had an idea for me to make mm-hmm. me a name. But Vince Sr. was the man who had to write the check to rent Chase Stadium. You imagine what that cost? You know. <laughs> so if it bombed, you know, the guy would have went broke. But he believed in my dream, too. So God bless him. Did Junior have a whole lot of input on that? I was I was kind of wondering about. You know what? Uh, you know, back in those days, Vince was there, but I really don't know uh, if Vince, you know, had that much say in what was happening. It was Vince Senior, really, was like the the man. But Vince also had two partners, Willie Gilsenberg and Phil Zacco. So there was like, like three kind of 
guys at the top, top. And uh, I think probably Vince Sr. probably had, you know, obviously the most say. But Vince was there, and it was interesting because he didn't say much. But you could tell, especially when the new era started of pay-per-view and nationwide TV, that Vince didn't say much, but he, he listened and he knew. I mean, Vince, from what wrestling was when he inherited it to what, you know, it became, uh, Vince will probably go down as the greatest promoter of all time. It was It's amazing what – and even for the wrestlers. I mean, not to mention the charity work they do. I mean, WWE is a great company, but in the old days, if you got hurt, you're out of business. Goodbye. No one took care of you. You know, if yeah. you get hurt now – WWE pays for your surgery. If you're at home for five, six months rehabbing, you're getting a check. You know, I mean, so things have really, uh, you know, changed. It's uh, it's an interesting business, night and day from what I did, and a complete different athletic look at it. I mean, it obviously changed mm -hmm. from the good guy, bad guy kind of character thing we had. But when you watch it, I mean, the production – you know, I mean, the production is amazing. But the athletes that are involved, really, they have amazing athletes, and they're doing amazing things. And and, and a lot of what they're doing is dangerous. Well, know? that was going to be my next question. But the bad part is it happens every match, and no one's really special anymore. That's why they got to... Make a new Rock, a new Cena, a new Austin, a new Brock Lesnar. I don't know how long Brock's going to go anymore. A new Undertaker, you know, I mean, a new Michaels. They need, they need a new era of stars for a new era. Well, you were, we were talking about Scott Hall and how he passed early, and a lot of superstars from that era have. Yeah. Do you think the changing in styles has from your era, and I mean you, I mean your era stretches across all of them, but you you kept kind of the same style. Do you think this new style is leading to that kind of tragedy and dependency on painkillers and that kind of thing? Well, I, you know what, I really don't think so because, uh, like I said, with the company, how the WWE has changed years ago. No, you know, there was a lot of guys like after my era, I was kind of the last guy who was a young guy, but trained by the old school, Bruno, Jay Strongbow, Skolin, Monsoon, some other guys. And I never knew what a steroid was. But shortly after me, you know, Billy Graham came in and a bunch of other guys came in and they looked awesome. I mean, even in the movies, you know, the Terminator and Dave... Draper at the Mr. Universe. I mean, all these guys were looking like surrealistic and no one realized it was the steroids, but they also didn't realize the long-term bad effects steroids had on people. And then, but they weren't illegal. No, no one knew. The Russians were using it in the Olympics in the thirties, but then the WWE, you know, I mean, they put their foot down. They started drug testing they didn't allow drugs. I mean, you know, you, you got in big trouble or fired if you were into drugs. But, uh, but if you did have a drug problem, they put you through rehab, whether it took one time, 10 times. I mean, I know some guys might, might even have been Scott Hall, might have went to rehab 10 times. But they put them through, you know, to help them. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think it was a big drug problem after a while, but there was an era that way overdid the steroids and the growth hormone and, and, you know, your heart grows. And uh, I mean, and there, a lot of them are dead now and alcohol too. I mean, mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned, alcohol should be illegal. That's what makes people stupid. We, we, we got a question from one of our, our, our loyal listeners, Larry, Amy Vaughn. And she asked, was Larry concerned about his safety after he beat Bruno with a chair? Bruno's fans were 100% behind Bruno. Now, this may seem silly to some of the people out there that were our younger listeners or watchers, but in the 70s and the 80s, the fans did not take this lighthearted. What, what, what was the tone in the audience that night when you, when you turned on Bruno? Well, 
It's very interesting because I think even Vince made a quote that said basically uh, Zabisco and Bruno, it was the hottest feud ever, but it was the feud that nobody saw coming. Mm -hmm. And the night in Hamburg, when I hit Bruno with the chair and he was laying there in a pool of blood, I mean, a lot of blood. When I stepped out of the arena, you'd think the arena would be making noise and going berserk and you could hear a pin drop. And as I was leaving, I could see people's faces and their mouths were like, I mean, they were in shock. They didn't believe it. And, I, you know, I left the building and went back home. But then a couple of days later, when the television played on, you know, TV and people saw it, it, it didn't register me to me yet how serious this was. Because you got to remember, back in the old days, if Bruno fell down and bled, people in the audience got heart attacks. I mean, they were into it. Mm-hmm. I drove my new Cadillac to some town after the TV showed, and I didn't realize it, but as I was pulling into the parking lot, rocks were getting thrown at me. My windshields were smashed. You know, I had to have security come out and you know, escort me into the building. When I came out, the tires were flat. I mean, the car was keyed. I mean, it, it and then I, <laughs> I was shot at leaving one arena in Albany. <laughs> and I was stabbed in the ass because every night, I mean, I could, I could start a riot if I wanted to. You know? Crazy. And, uh, you know, and back then, uh, you know, they didn't have all the big barriers. It was just people sitting at ringside. And string. Line. I saw the string. Line. Yeah. You know, that's and I'd so, be. That's so awesome. It's just so and awesome. I was stabbed. <laughs> I remember I went in the dressing room and Arnold Skolin was playing cribbage with Andre. And you, know, you could hear the riot and the noise. And I walked in and Arnold went, how did it go? It sounded good. And I went, no, oh, it went great, but. Boy, someone kicked me in the butt here, and it really hurts. And I put my hand back there, and I could feel this metal. And I went, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> and I pulled the blade. I pulled the blade out of my ass. Oh my god! You know those? Remember they had the Japanese knives that looked like a piece of wood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was shorter end was the handle, and then the blade would go in the other piece of wood. So someone stabbed me in the ass at one of them, and when I spun around to knock him out, I broke the blade off in my butt. <laughs> so, so was that like a tetanus shot? Is that what you had to? Well, I went to the hospital and got a tetanus shot. Couple, couple stitches in the butt. No, no stitches, but I, a couple of tetanus shots. It was, thank God, at least it was a long, thin blade. You know, it wasn't one of them big ones. Jeez, but after but- that. I start carrying a gun with me. New York City, Connecticut, screw their gun laws. I carried a gun. One time I was going down the highway and there was a car with five guys in it trying to rush, run me or push me off the road. And one guy was hanging out with with a big knife, waving it out the window. So I reached under the seat and pulled out the 45 and boom, shot it over the roof of their car because I don't want a 45. <laughs> I carry a 45. I carry one now. I got a concealed carry. So I uh, shot <laughs> one in the car and boy, then they finally took off. But then I realized, my God, I mean, people hated me. Really, I, uh, I used to have to hide in people's trunks and get pulled into the arena and, you know, I'm hiding in someone's trunk or, or a police car. I remember one time I met Mike Tyson in the back of some, you know, autograph thing. And I said, I went up to introduce myself and I went, Hey, Mike, I'm, and before I could say anything else, Tyson says, Larry Zabisco. Oh, I hate you. What? I hated you when I was a <laughs> Why did you hit Bruno with that chair? Oh, I used to hate you. I'm going, my God. But he, Mike, it was a work. Don't hit me, please. I will, I will tell you this, though. I know why a lot of fans hated you. And I'm going to read this little excerpt here. Okay. In March 1984, Zabisco joined the Minneapolis, Minnesota-based American Wrestling Association. 
He was awarded the newly created AWA America's Championship in January of 85 and engaged in a lengthy feud with Sergeant Slaughter. Throughout the feud, Zabisco drew the ire of fans by fleeing the ring and stalling for minutes at a time whenever Slaughter gained an advantage. Zabisco claimed the longest he ever stalled was for 16 minutes. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, at that point, I'd have probably stabbed you in the ass, too. Get in the ring! <laughs> no, well, here, well, well, you know what? Here, here's the weird thing about that. Because back in the early 80s, in the mid-80s, there was no such thing as stalling. But what happened was, because people hated me, even when they started listening to the Meltzer crap and all that. Thank you. Thank I you. was yeah. I, lear I learned the psychology from the old school of how to make the people, you know, really believe in my character. And I had something that the, the, the generation behind me kind of lost, and it was called heat. Mm. And people believed... Forget the wrestling. People believed in real life that I was an asshole. They believed I was just a complete a-hole. So, I mean, the way I walked out, the way I moved, I got to tie up if I stepped out of the ring. I mean, the whole time that they say I was stalling, I mean, someone made up that word that never existed before. <laughs> But the fans, I mean, if you listen, I only could do that for one reason. Because the fans were chanting, Larry sucks, Larry sucks. And they meant it. In fact, I kind of invented the suck chant back in the early 80s because it was that was never done before. It's only considered a stall if they're silent while you're out walking around. Nobody wants that shit. And they were quiet, that means I better do something. But if I walked in and they're chanting Larry sucks, then I could jump out and yell at the you know timekeeper, or I'd jump in, the guy come at me, I'd jump out and yell it, or I'd pick out a fan. I remember there was this one chick, and you know, one and I'd pick on one fan so the rest of the crowd would watch me like a show within a show and she was giving me the finger, and I was yelling at her loud, saying, you know what, lady? If you eat more, you could probably get even fatter. Oh, boo. Larry sucks. And I knew as soon as I started wrestling, then the Larry suck chance would stop. So sometimes I could do it for five minutes. One town I came in after the match, and Grizzly Smith came up to me and went, it was 16 minutes before. <laughs> so that was my record, 16 minutes of Larry. That's awesome. But then when I felt, you know, the crowd was coming down, then I do something because but that was. <laughs> we, we, have, we have we have another question from one of our viewers. It says, how was it being married to the boss's daughter when working in AWA? Did you have any heat with the other wrestlers? No, you know, I, I really didn't because for a couple of reasons. Uh, one was the other wrestlers kind of looked up to me because I helped them out because most of them were younger than me. I mean, the Midnight Rockers, you know, Janetti and Shawn Michaels started oh, yeah. there. Bert Henning started there. The Road Warriors kind of were from there. You know, like I said, me and Scott, Scott Hall came up there and probably some other guys. And... Um, but me and Kathy, when we got married, what the hell year was that? 1988. So That's according to Wikipedia, so it could have been yeah, 89, 87. It's wrong then. But yeah, it was somewhere around there. So, but then the you know, AWA, you know, finally closed its doors. So it's not like we were there a you know a long time, or no one resented me because I married the boss's daughter and got a break because I had a break, you know, and was the chain and all that before uh, me and Kathy ever got married. So no one cared. I'd have, I'd have walked in and showed him the scar on my ass and be like, hey, when you yeah. get this kind of heat, you can marry the boss's daughter. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, you know, the, the weird thing was, it was such a weird business, and Kathy was a great chick, and she still is, and but she was raised in the business, so we mm. had a lot in common. She understood the traveling aspect. It worked out good because I was gone half the time, so <laughs> we never got sick of each other. <laughs> And we had a couple of beautiful kids together, and now we got a new six-month-old granddaughter, you know. So. Oh, nice. Nice. Congratulations. It's going good. Awesome. TJ, right, go what you got for us? So we're, we're going to move out of the 80s. We're going to head into 1990. You are joining WCW. And um, this isn't where I was going to go, but it's an interesting topic. One of our Another one of our uh, fans here watching the show uh, wants to know, Larry, what was it like being in the Dangerous Alliance? So it was you, Paul Heyman, Steve Austin, Rick Rude, Bobby Eaton, Medusa, probably Arne the most under Arn Anderson, probably the most underrated faction ever. That's a loaded faction. So what well, you, what was it like being in the Dangerous Alliance? Well, yeah, it's an interesting story. It probably surprised people, but here's what happened: me and Arn. And I was like 41 years old now at this time and been in the ring for 20 years every night in a different city. And me and Arn were teaming as the enforcers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was great. Arn was great. He was a great partner. He was fun to travel with. And, and the fans bought me and Arn. Because even in those days, and you know, when when some guys would walk out, the fans were already, you know, think they know everything, and they're going boring. But when me and Arn walked out, they popped like it was back in the seventies. Nice. So that team was the enforcers. The people, you know, got into it was good. And but what happened is, I didn't like being a group guy. I was a single guy for twenty years, the most hated guy. Me and Arn clicked as a tag team when I was 41. And Arn was getting up there, so it was a little easier, but it was great. But then TBS didn't really have any leadership at the time because, you know, Ted bought it. Ted was a big wrestling fan. He loved it. But you had Jim Hurd, the pizza guy. Running, pizza man. Yeah, for a while. He was a good guy and gave me a good deal, but didn't know wrestling. He's a pizza guy. Then you had some other accountant, and then the TBS brought in. Here's a Petrick, good I think. I think Petrick was after her. Maybe Petrick, but then they brought in Bill Watts. Yeah. And no. Bill Watts was an a-hole. In fact, he was the kind of a-hole who was proud of being an a-hole. So there was two things. I didn't get along with Watts, but... I didn't want to be part of a group. You know, I mean, my days of being young in my 20s and 30s and all that, I was like a 41, 42, and me and Arn were a great tag team. But Bill Watts kind of messed it up and, and put that group together, which was a group of great talent. I mean, Brood mm -hmm. was great. Paul Lee does a great job. You know, Stone Cold obviously became a big star, you know. But I didn't want to be part of a group. And it's interesting because I never thought of being a broadcaster, but with Bill Watts's idea of taking the business was everybody over 40 should get beat by Eric Watts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that was covered. And we Joel should cover. talk about it. And yeah, and what's even worse is Joel Watts on commentary. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. We actually yeah. covered a TV title tournament at WCW had when I think when they brought the title back and the finals was Arn. No, it was, yeah, it was Arn. And, no, it was and, Mr. Wonderful. Paul Orndorff. Oh, Paul Orndorff and Eric Watts was the finals. Yeah. No, but I mean, the TBS people freaked out because, you know, Bill was such a moron. He's got an office on the 14th floor. He didn't go to the men's room. He walked out of his office on the balcony and took a pee over the balcony which went down 14 floors, bouncing off the tents over the food court. Ugh. And the language he used around the TBS employees, which in a politically correct big company, the TBS people were horrified. Well, yeah. And it was the 90s, so it was, it was still kind of... <laughs> it had to be really bad to get in trouble. 
we, well, we, yeah, so we spoke our minds about how we feel about Bill Watts several yeah, times. Yeah, well, well here's what I did. <laughs> when, when the group was together and I didn't want to be a part of it and I didn't want to deal with Watts, I went to the TBS people and I went, oh, my knee hurts. I need a little scope for cartilage. So they went, okay. So I left the Dangerous Alliance and left the group because I didn't want to be in it. And I went and got a little knee surgery. I had four knee surgeries, but thank God, nothing bad, just little cartilage tears. Mm-hmm. And when I was home floating in the pool, rehabbing after the scope, <laughs> I, got, I got a call from uh, one of the producers. And, and the guy said to me, hey, Larry, you want to come down and do us a favor? Because Jesse the Body Ventura just quit. Can you come down and do the color over a couple of shows we got put together for the syndicated markets? And I went, and there was, they were still paying me. They were a great company. So I went, Hey, okay, I'll come down. So I went down and I voiced over with, I don't know if it was Shivani or Gordon Soley or JR, but one Jim Ross was on the worldwide. We watched with you. It might've been. So I voiced over a few shows and when they were done, the door swung open and the executive producer, I think his name was Craig, Craig Leathers, maybe. Mm-hmm. He ran in the room and he went, Larry, you're the greatest color man we've ever heard. Do you want to be our color man and be a commentator? We'll give you this much a year. And I was, it was like three times as much as I was making. Being a <laughs> it was the time when. Turner was giving money away, you know, and Vince mm-hmm. was giving money away with big contracts like they were printing it in their basement because they didn't want people going back and forth anymore. And so for 10 years almost, I went, hell yeah, I'll do this. Will you make me an employee? So I got, you know, health benefits, perks, a big salary contract. They paid for, you know, flights, motels, rented cars. I mean, it was the best 10 years of my life. And I never planned on being a commentator ever. And, that, and that's how that happened was, you know, I just did well, one. You great at great. it. Well, thank you. I didn't plan on it, but thank you very much. I mean, I always did have the gift of gab. And again, what I use, I, mean, I listen to announcers today. They need some help. Mm-hmm. Because it's like calling radio, you know, hey, he's on the first rope, he's on the second rope, he's on the third rope, he's he's diving off. Well, we see that, dummy. <laughs> this isn't radio, but, right? <laughs> but but I use the psychology that I learned from the old school guys to wrestle into the broadcasting so people could get into the matches more and it would make sense to them what was going on, you know. Well, I, you know, when we talk about our favorite color analysts, because color analysts really didn't become a thing until Jesse, late, Je- yeah, Ventura, uh, Heenan in that era, and well, Heenan was a classic, <laughs> right? And I'm not, no, I'm I- not just saying this because you're on the show. You can go back to our the podcast, mm-hmm. weekly podcast we do months and months ago. We did a WCW show, and I said. Uh, I know Jerry Lawler is widely acknowledged as the greatest color commentator ever. I said, but but Larry was first before Lawler. And I think Larry's underrated in the fact that he's not announcing somewhere is a shame. Because you, just as uh, an aside, we kind of got off, started with the NWO thing and went sideways with it, and now we're back here again. So your, to me, your commentary when the NWO started and you took your, even as a heel announcer and took your, your firm stance and I'm a WCW guy and I'm going to yes. trash these NWO guys every chance they come out here, no matter who it is, if it's Hogan, Nash, Hall, added that element of the, like the announcer is talking mad shit. Like this might be real because the announcers don't talk like that. Well, and I don't think well, you, you remember you deserve for that. Scott Hall walks in from the crowd, which was your idea. Yeah. Yeah. And you say, you say, and I quote, wait a minute. What is he doing here? Yeah. I legit thought WWF was taking over. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The and fans. The, 
I mean, the fans want to believe. They want to believe. And the way wrestling is now, you know. But but even back then in the 90s, but what they – but what, what they really want to, they want to make it, if you make it easy to pretend in, they can believe without feeling mm-hmm. stupid. Because, yeah. you know, I mean, the, the fans are, they're too smart. If you well, give we them want stupid, to be entertained. Yeah, you want to be swerved. That's, that's exactly you, it. You don't want to know, you don't want to know who the murderer is before you go and see the movie. Right. You know. Right. Well, well I, I tell people example. all the time, what, you, wait a minute, you like wrestling that's fake. Bitch, Superman is fake. You watch that <laughs> shit, don't you? So what difference does it make? Yeah, I mean, if you go to Jurassic Park, you're not telling that, but hey, the dinosaurs aren't real. <laughs> hey, did you guys know I have a Triceratops at home? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but d- d- simple details like that, like I've, I think it was Bishop told the story that they were going to have Hall come through the ramp. And you spoke up that he can't come through the ramp. He doesn't work here. Why would he come through the ramp? He's got to come yeah. through the ramp. Well, There's I mean, details like that. They're just missing now. Yeah, they had a meeting, and the original idea was something about Scott just sitting there at ringside and, or something There's like no shock that. by you. And yeah. I, 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 I interrupted the meeting, and I said, wait a minute. And everybody looked at me like I was going to get fired. And I gave him my idea. I said, "Hey, if, if this, if the w, if you want to look like the WWE invades, have the guy walk down, get in the ring during a match, and invade." And I mean, thank God it was the Maulers match, so we didn't have to watch the rest of <laughs> the that. The Mauler and Mike, Mike yeah. Enos and Steve Dahl was the and it, was, yeah. it was it was funny because Eric said, "That pisses me off. Your idea is better than mine." <laughs> but, uh, but that showed why it worked good under Eric because Eric was a smart guy. He was a hustler, good hustler, but he would also listen to people. And he was smart enough. If he heard, if he heard a good idea, he knew it, it. You know, if he heard a bad idea, he wouldn't do it. And he knew my programming and not just the beginning, but the way things happened after Scott came in and then with Eric and, you know, the whole thing. He knew that was great. So. so did you meet him back in the AWA when he first started? Yeah, it was <laughs> it was a funny story because we go in there one day, you know, every week to do uh, interviews. And Larry Nelson was the guy that would do the interviews. So one day all the boys show up to do interviews. There's no Larry Nelson, no announcer, no interview guy. He disappeared. His car, his clothes and everything was still in his apartment. Larry Nelson disappeared. We found out later, it's like a couple of years later, that Larry Nelson was going to go to jail because he had too many DUIs. I knew it. I knew so, it was Larry Nelson. I knew it was Larry Nelson. So he fled to Key West or something and, and just disappeared. Fled to Key West. Love it. <laughs> something like that, yeah. So Fuck it. I'll fled to Indiana. I'm good. Yeah. So we needed someone to do the interviews. So we, and and Eric was a good looking guy. So we said, Hey, let's have Eric do it. So we put Eric in there to do the interviews. And I was his very first interview. And I remember Eric started talking and I came in to do my interview. And when I looked at Eric, the face he had and the things he said, I just started laughing. I cracked up. I went, no, 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 God, God. Because, you know, poor Eric didn't you know really have a clue but he wasn't an interview guy but he caught on quick but that's how it started with eric plus i was a private pilot you know i'd fly myself all over the place and i took eric flying with me sometimes and eric got into it eric got himself a private pilot's license and bought himself a cessna and he'd be flying all over the place for years too That's how smart we were. We were pilots. Well, I want to cover something quick uh, that Arn Anderson has said Uh on his show. Does he he got a podcast? Everybody's got a podcast. He does. He he has a podcast. And he he said that you were a cigar store Indian standing outside the ring while he was tagging with you. And he did all the work. (laughs) 
However, on this upcoming show that we're doing, we watched some uh, all-star wrestling from 1978. Yes. Oh, my God. And you were tag teaming with Haystacks Calhoun. Oh, my God. And his big ass never tags into the match. You, you won the match by yourself. That one. And you, you won, won the match by yeah. yourself. And you probably didn't make as much as old Haystacks. Nope. So is that like the evolution is you do all the work to the point where you do none of the work? Well, it depended on the crowd and the moment and the opponent <laughs> and the partner. But Arn was funny because he used to call me Granite Man because I would like stand there and people would chant Larry sucks. And I didn't have to do much, but, you know, put on a show within the show. So they kept chanting and. Arn didn't understand that psychology. He just wanted to go in there and bump around and thought that was the big secret. And it was funny because one time we're wrestling outside for an army troop somewhere out in the West. And the sand's blowing and me and Arn are in a tag match. And I'm out there in the crowds chanting, Larry sucks, Larry sucks. And I'm kind of doing my thing. And Arn starts yelling at me saying, do something, will you do something, you know? And I'm going, but Arn, they're chanting Larry sucks. <laughs> and Arn says, but they really mean it. <laughs> I, I, used, I used to drive Arn nuts, and he's a great guy. Was that, um, was that, that is the greatest champions? story ever. Was that the Clash of the Champions that was in the hangar? The hangar? No, this was some outdoor show at some okay. army place, I think. So that is it was fabulous. outside, it was windy, and it was, the sand was blowing, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, let's take this, let's take this a different way. You were the last AWA world heavyweight champion. Yep, I still am. Well, there you go. Still the longest reigning champion wrestling history. Uh <laughs> what is what is your favorite title belt in the history of wrestling? Oh. Well, you know what? I guess I guess that would have to be the one because that was a belt that was the heavyweight champion of the world belt that I still have. And we had a classic match that really you, re you rarely hear of because it, was, it happened in Japan. But I had a match for the AWA World Belt against Masa Saido wow. in, in the Tokyo Dome. And we oh, sold yeah. it out, 72,000 people wow. in the Tokyo Dome. And the interesting part was the next night was the Mike Tyson-Buster Douglas fight. Whoa. What? Oh, yeah. In fact, we drew more people than the Buster. I was going to say you outdrew them. Oh, yeah, we did. <laughs> We did. And there's an interesting story about that, but we'll keep it in sealed documents. Okay. I actually have a replica belt of the AWA World Heavyweight title. Not the same possession. one. You have no. the inmate. The yeah, inmate I got the, the prison belt. I got the, belt. I got the got Western the... States, but the Western States, I never defended west of the Mississippi, so I don't get it. Yeah, you, uh, you actually retired the NWA Western States. Yeah, the last one to have that one, too. Yeah, never so WCW, Mississippi. WCW is like, don't give Larry a belt because it'd be the last one to have it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kept companies kept closing after they gave me a belt. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I had a question because we, we've talked about your relationship with Scott Hall stemming from the AWA. We talked about you transitioning to an announcer. Well, in 97, you got back into the ring with for a program with Scott Hall. And uh, a, a dusty roads heel turn aside because I still don't understand that to this day. Mm -hmm. But how how did the how did the program with Scott come to be between you and him? Well, you know what? It, it, here's what happened. Again, it was a uh, you know the feeling of the fans. I was doing the commentating, I think, with Tony Schiavone, and at that time, the table with the broadcast thing was right next to the ring before they built the big set. And me and Tony were doing a broadcasting, and we went to a commercial break. And during the commercial break, Scott Hall, who walked into that match that was going on, walked over to the, you know, uh, the, the rope 
where I was on the other side of the rope sitting at the table. And Scott looked down at me and took his toothpick out and flicked his toothpick at me. And when he did that, I whipped off the headsets and stood up. And when I stood up after whipping off the headsets and stood up, the place blew the roof off. I mean, the fans blew the roof off the place. You could you know, feel like, whoa! I mean, it was a big pop, big pop. And I looked at Scott and he looked at me and we both knew this is money. People want to see this. I mean, it, was, it wasn't planned at first, but after we felt that, I had to program it in because the fans wanted to see it. In fact, the, the pay-per-views when I wrestled Scott and when I wrestled Eric were the two highest buy rates WCW pay-per-views ever did. Well, I have, to say, I have to say that, you know, I was 90, it's 97 time frame. I was 15, 16 years old. Yeah. You were believable that you hated the new world odor. You were believable <laughs> that you absolutely despised Scott Hall. It was believable as shit. And going back and watching it, I have, you know, Peacock and every night I lay in bed, wife falls asleep. I watch old wrestling. And I absolutely love, love, love watching WCW from the Monday night wars because you were outstanding in your role. And, and as a color commentator, as you know, somebody who would stand up to the new world order because, you know, Shivani would run, Heenan would run like a cowardly hill and you would sit there. And there was one time where you literally sat there just like this and refused to move when they were yeah. up there. And it was, you were believable. And so good. It, it, it worked. And it was, it's, it, it's what's it, a lot of stuff that you did is what's missing in wrestling now. Well, it or is. sports entertainment or whatever they want to call it. It's missing. Well, it is missing. And again, that's what I learned from the old schools. It looks believable. You can pretend in it. You don't feel like, I mean, you you love to boo and hate. You want a good guy and a bad guy. I watch matches today. The athletes are great, but they're all doing the same thing. Every match is the same. I don't know who the good guy and the bad guy is. Mm-hmm. It's just you know, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but so... That, that was the secret. Make the people believe it because they want to believe it. That's why they're watching it. They escape from the reality of their job, nine to five, and the world going insane. Entertain them, but they emotionally, you got to get them emotionally. So if they believe in it, they're happy and you got it made. You, they don't even have to believe in it. You just have to make them suspend I disbelief. Mean, yeah, they point. believe in it for three hours or two hours. Yeah, every, everybody knows what's going on, but well, damn for it, one, don't, three hours. Don't, don't pull the curtain open and show me. Just, three hours for a wrestling show is an hour and a half long, too long. It, it's yeah. a long time, yeah. Two hours. Yeah. Is Raw, is, uh, Raw is unwatchable. It's too long. Mm-hmm. You, uh, what what current Nitro product do you watch, damn, if any, Larry? Yeah. What, what do I watch? Yeah, do do you watch any current product? If so, what is it? Well, you know what I do? I mean, I live in Orlando in the Performance Center where they train the new guys. Yeah, they should hire you. We know. And NXT is six miles down the road. And one of my buddies is one of the finishing coaches. And before the COVID crap, I go down and help them out with a class now and then and then when the COVID came, it was a pain in the butt, so I haven't been down for a year and a half or two. But, yeah, but uh, what, what I do is I go to my friend's house, and every Monday we'll get together, and he's got a couple of autistic kids that love me. So it's a fun thing. And we watch Monday Night Raw so we know what's going on. And then I watch NXT because I want to see the new talent and see if anybody has potential. So, you know, and he, but he worked. I'd fire half the people there, but. Have you watched any AEW? Well, you know what? I really don't, to be honest, because after watching Raw to see, you know, what's going on and NXT to see what new possibilities are, 
That's I can't take it anymore. That's I need a break. <laughs> All right. I, I'm, I'm going to step out of line just real quick. You, you like using YouTube? Uh, I really don't. I mean, I listen to music once in a while, but I'm not like a computer guy. Try to search out a promo by a wrestler named MJF, MJF. this week from and, AEW. It is the most. Go ahead, DJ. Maxwell Jacob Friedman, MJF is his okay. name. And he is, he's 20, 26? 26. And it's going to be a superstar. He's it's the, the most believable shit I've heard in 10 years. I'm not. I mean, it, it's rare. I mean, it gets recorded, but I, I just need a break after the first, you know, and I'll fast oh. forward to SmackDown. This weekend, I'll, I'll, I'll check out the pay-per-view. And, but Up I'm until, more interested in NXT because, like yeah. I said, it needs to make some new stars. So I'm more interested in the new guys. I'm, I'm ready to see how Steiner does when he hits the main roster. Mm. Yeah, well, I I know. I, I think the company likes him, and uh, I, I think he's good. I, I know what I would do with him. I would change the name, first of all. I already got Yes, he needs to be line. Steiner. Braun well, Breaker is the dumbest shit. Yeah, I mean, Braun, we just had a Braun Strowman. Braun Breaker is not even like a name. Everybody knows <laughs> It's not even a name. Him. He knows he's Steiner's kid, but he's got to learn how to be that. And I want to change his name because I know Vince likes the one word thing like Seamus, you know, Dewdrop, Riddle, you know, Amos. But I'd like to change his name. And I got a way to do it that would make sense without just changing it to instead of Braun Breaker, change it to Breakenstein. Instead oh. of Frankenstein. Yeah, I have a question. That would Dave- more fit into being a Steiner or Breakensteiner. Dave's getting ready to take us home. Because we're we're nearing our hour, but Uh-oh. I have one question about NXT for you, Larry. All right, what do you think about Nikita the Lions? Nikita the Lion? Nikita the Lions? Nikita Lions? I'm not sure. Her. Never heard of her. <laughs> you, you'll know her. You'll know her when you see her. Oh, it's a woman. Oh yeah. Yes. Is that the? She's audience? a big Russian bitch. <laughs> oh, is that the one that wrestles in like a big? A big pair of pajamas? No, no yeah. that's um what is her name? That's uh Wendy Chu. Yeah, uh-huh. Nikita this Lyons girl is, is a new she's, one that does some she's a martial, martial artist, arts blonde stuff. hair, thick as God, the I day really is don't long. know. You know, I mean I I fast forward through that's most her. of it and I'll check out Braun Breaker, Breakenstein, and I'll they got a couple other I mean I'm into big guys. You can have a whole bunch of 200-pound, 190-pound guys that flip around and, you know, put on a – I hate the word performance. Don't ever say performance. They had a great match. But what draws money is still the same. It's a big man business. So uh, I'll fast forward until I see a big guy that's got potential, and then I'll watch them. But I really don't watch too many of the women. I mean, there are some beautiful women there, but – you know, I mean, I'm into what draws money, and that's big guys. We need a new Brock Lesnar, a new Austin, a new mm-hmm. a nuclear age Bruno. You know? Oh, yes. I like it. We do. Well, with that being said, Larry, thank you so much for coming on with us tonight. We have had just, I mean, we couldn't have imagined that it was going to go this well. You no, are fantastic. made for this. That's fine. Yeah, please, that please come back. Please come back. Well, if you, I tell you what, this is your fourth show. I mean, if you guys keep going, you got my number or email. You know, give me a call down the road. We can always do it again. Absolutely. Well, our, our viewers are demanding it, Larry. Well, then listen to your viewers. Well, yeah, we, we, will, uh, we will be in touch with you very soon because we're going to brainstorm some ideas that we've got. Because right. this this has gone better than we ever could have imagined. You well, are amazing. You know, we, we still a earlier, living legend. You are now we, a podcast living legend because yeah, you're on you. here with the crew from Filter Free. Thank you, you very said much. Earlier, you said earlier everyone's got a podcast. Yeah, except me. I think everyone you I might need one. Larry, I you think, might I need one. We, I think you found your Huckleberry. Oh god. 
So with that being the replaceables, the movie and the wrestling legends network on Tubi and absolutely plug all of it. Hit it, hit it all before we go. We'll tweet that out too when we're done here. And we'll find out when it's all going to be released and what's going on, where to where to watch the wrestling legends network. We'll get all that information out on Twitter and we will put it on our Patreon as well. And we will make sure that it's something that we push out. Yeah, I'm not sure when, because we did one maybe a month ago. We filmed some episodes, and I'm not sure when it's going to start, but the movie should be out this fall, and it'll be interesting. So we'll see what happens. should be a good year next year. I hope I hope everybody's dreams come true, and everybody has a great year, and all this COVID crap is gone, and we all live happily ever after. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you so much for coming on with us. This well, thank was you guys. Tremendous. Anytime. And we will talk to you soon, Larry. Thank you.